Good morning. Um, today's scripture will be reading from Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Hear the word of the Lord. If then you have been raised in Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. This is the word of the Lord. You crushed it. Oh, my mic was loud. But she did crush it. Big ups to Bridget because I asked her to do that this morning. <laughs> she was like, yeah, no problem. All right, we are continuing this morning in our uh, series, Words to Live By. And one of the challenges that we've been given with this sermon series is to memorize uh, each text that we'll be going through uh, on Sunday mornings. But here's the, here's the deal. I wasn't here last week. So I have like a pass. I don't have last week's memorized. Everyone said, no, you don't. I was at camp. So y'all are going to have to do some heavy lifting here, but we're going we're gonna to recite it uh, together. So 1 Peter 2.9, that's the right text, correct? Okay. Uh, I just want to double check. 1 Peter 2.9. I'm going to start it, but y'all got to finish it out for me, okay? But you are a chosen race. People for possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, 1,200 points to Bretta and Brent for having it memorized. Well, uh, this week we will be in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 2. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we... Uh, dive in this morning. Father, the words that we are reciting, that we are studying, are not the words of man. They are transcendent words, words of real reality, of real importance that you have given us. So God, as we open your word together as we study your writing through the Apostle Paul. Would you put that weight on us that these are from your lips. They've been breathed out by you and they are profitable. And they are good for our souls. God, I pray that your words would be heard this morning, not mine. That we would all be edified through your spirit, by the preaching of your word as you have promised. It's in your son's name we pray. All God's people said. Well, we talked about this uh, musical a couple weeks ago, and I, I okayed it with Brent that I could talk about the same musical three weeks in a row. But in uh, Les Miserables, if you've seen uh, Les Mis, uh, there's the, the main character is this guy named Jean Valjean. It's like the most French name of all time. And he's played by Hugh Jackman in the movie, if you've seen the movie. And at the very beginning of the movie, He's uh, in like a prison colony, and the first song, he gets released from this prison colony, and he says, oh, I'm free. And this police officer who kind of is chasing him throughout the whole thing, he says, no. He says, you will be branded for life as a thief. And so Valjean goes, and he has this kind of radical experience of grace, which Brent talked about a couple weeks ago, and it puts him in this identity crisis, 
And he sings this song where he's trying to decide, can I escape this identity that I've been given? I'm known as a criminal. I'm known as a thief. And people tell me that that is all I will ever be, but this priest has given me a new chance. Is, there, is it really possible for me to change? Is it really possible for me to have a new identity? And he's torn between these two realities. He says, everyone says I'm a criminal, but is there a chance at a new life? And, and the, the end of this song, he makes the decision. And here's the, here's the final verse of the song. He says, I am reaching, but I fall. And the night is closing in as I stare into the void to the whirlpool of my sin. And then he sings, I'll escape now from that world, from the world of Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. Another story must begin. He determined that to escape the realities, the patterns of his previous life, he has to put to death the old Jean Valjean. Jean Valjean is nothing now. And another story must begin. And the next time we see Valjean, he's unrecognizable. He's no longer uh, a criminal. He's a respected uh, businessman and a mayor. And he's no longer singing about crime and punishment, but about honor and honesty and conviction. He has recreated himself into a new person. He's been given a new identity. And the book of Colossians is about the same thing. Paul is imploring the Colossians, uh, the, the church in Colossae, he's saying, you are a new people. You've been given a new identity. Just like Jean Valjean in uh, Les Mis, you are, a, a new, you are no longer uh, conformed by the, the pattern of your old life. And he's saying, put your old life away and live accordance, in accordance with your new identity. And this is no, I don't, I don't want us to lose this, it's no small statement coming from Paul. Because Paul himself had an identity crisis. He was a man who was revered and respected and one of the most educated men of his time. He was living the high life, right? He was in charge of people and he had, in his mind, he had an important task. The most important task that there could ever be. He was protecting the holiness of God and God's people. And to do that, he had to kill and persecute those who would besmirch the name of God, the Christians. He was a persecutor of the church. He was, when, when they took Stephen out of Jerusalem and, and stoned him, people paid homage to Paul, then known as Saul, because he was the persecutor of the church. He had position, he had status, he had education. By all worldly measures, he had it all, and he threw it away. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he gave up his power, his authority, all the worthiness of his education. He threw it all away. And in return, he got shipwrecks, he got snake bites, he got imprisonments, and eventually he got killed. And so why would he do that? Why would Paul do that? He freely admits that whatever gain he had, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, the beauty of knowing and serving Christ was greater than all those worldly comforts that Paul was ever given. All the success he ever had 
knowing and beholding Christ was better. And so the book of Colossians is Paul making that case to this church. He's saying you have a new identity. You can live in a new way. And I believe chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 where we're going to camp out today, it can be summarized in this way. Resurrection with Christ reorients your purpose and reshapes your mind. Resurrection with Christ reorients your purpose and reshapes your mind. So we're going to break the verse up into kind of three chunks. So at the beginning, if you then have been, if then you have been raised with Christ. So Paul, throughout the book, he's, he's talking about how we're unified with Christ. Our identity is with Christ. And as his followers, through the power of the Spirit, we actually identify with Jesus in a really unique way. That we are unified to Jesus so that Jesus might bear the weight of our sins and that his righteousness can be transferred to us. So that when we stand before God, God no longer sees uh, the, the brokenness, the, the payment, or he no longer sees the, the evil of our sin, but he rather, he sees the holiness and righteousness of Jesus on us as his followers. And Paul does this saying, uh, using the death, the resurrection, and the ascension and the glorification of Jesus as sort of a framing, your life is changed because of Jesus' death like this. Like in chapter 2, he says, you have died to the world as Christ has died. So he's unifying our, uh, our death to Christ's death. And later on in, in the chapter 3, he's going to say, you will appear with Christ in glory. So he's unifying us to Jesus' reappearance on earth. And so in these two verses, he's saying, you are unified to Christ's resurrection in a unique way that only followers of Jesus can be identified with. You are, you, you are uniquely combi- like you're combined with Jesus in this way. And there's a few great truths to dwell on just in these like eight words, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to zip through just two of them. First and most importantly is the news that we can be raised with Christ. This is the gospel. We should be excited when we hear this phrase, like, you have been raised with Christ. It's, it's the gospel boiled down that you, a broken sinner who is, who is an enemy of God, who is far from God, you can be raised with Christ. You will never taste physical death because you have been resurrected with Jesus. And you are free from the chains of your sin of your sinful desires because you are united to Christ in his resurrection. You are no longer going to taste physical death and you are no longer spiritually dead. When he says we have been raised with Christ, it means we have been raised from a physical death and a spiritual death. This should be exciting to us. So when we're at camp, there's this thing called the blob, right? Y'all know what the blob is? Give me a yes or a no. Yes. So there's this blob, and every day at camp, they show a video, and it's like, there's like the blob of the day. It's like, who had the best blob that day? And, and I'll be honest, when we're at camp, we kind of corner the market on the blob of the day. It's, it's usually a fellowship kid at least three out of four days, uh, or, or whatever. But so anytime one of our students is the blob of the day, it's always like, that's that's Skyler! That's Skyler! And we're like clapping. We're like, whoa, that's Skyler! And Skyler's like, that's me! That's me! It's like, there are people who 
you know, we go to camp in June, and it's like September, and they're still talking about, hey, remember when I was blob of the day? Like, remember when, when I was blob of the day? And they're like, that's me on the video. I was the blob of the day. And it's like, that's how, when, when Christians, when we read this verse, like, if then you have been raised with Christ, we should stand up and we say, that's me. That I have been raised with Christ. That's, that's me. We should be excited about it. It's the most beautiful thing that's ever happened in any of our lives. Jesus was so kind to save me. I've been raised with Christ. It is maybe the indicator of our new identity in Christ that we have been raised with him. Now, many of us identify with that. We're like, that's me. I, I know what, I, that's me. I've been raised with Christ. But if I were to come up to you and say, hey, what does it mean that you've been raised with Christ? You'd be like, um, I'm not really sure. So what does, it, what does it mean to be raised with Christ? Well, if you go back just a couple of verses... Colossians 2, 12 through 13. Paul tells them this. Having been buried with him in baptism, unifying us to Jesus again. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. To be raised with Christ means that you have confessed your sinful state. You have had faith in the work of Jesus, and you have been made alive in Christ, meaning you have put yourself to death. You've been buried with him, and you've been raised now with Christ. It's the acceptance, the faith in the work of Jesus on the cross on your behalf. Right, First John, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so this morning, right from the, from the jump of the text, right? usually this is like for the end of the sermon, I'm doing it right here. If you have not done this, if you have not confessed your sinful state, if you have not put your faith and hope in the work of Jesus on the cross, then you have not been raised with Christ and you are dead. You're not dying. You're not slowly dying. You're dead. It's, it's, it's done. You're dead. But there is one hope. And that is to confess your sinful state. Put your faith in Jesus and you will be raised to life. It's the only hope. So please, if that's you, if you have not done this, ignore everything else that I'm about to say and dwell on this verse. Have I been raised with Christ? Am I walking in new life? Think and wrestle with what that might mean for you. And I plead with you, just take hold of Christ this morning. Put your faith and your hope in him. He's, he's waiting for you. He longs, he wants to see you restored and, and walking in new life. He wants to take the burdens that you are carrying, the sins and the guilt and the shame that you are carrying. He wants to take those heavy burdens and he wants to give you his yoke, which is easy and light. So I implore you, if that is you, do that this morning.
But if you're already in Christ, if you've already been raised with Christ, there's another great truth for us this morning. And it's that Paul says, if then you have been raised. He doesn't say, if then you are being raised, or if then you are raising. He says, if then you have been raised. Your fate is sealed. It is a completed action. You have been raised. Perfect past tense. It's happened. It's over. And this was a really great this was great news to the church in Colossae because they, they believed in this, this sort of, it's called an angel cult. And there were all these things you had to do. Like you had to, you had to, you, had to, you know, give up worldly things. Here's all, these, all these things you had to do to be uh, saved, to be cleansed. And Paul is saying, no, you have been raised. It's already happened. There's nothing you can do. These practices and these regulations, they don't cleanse you. They don't do anything for you. And sometimes I think we can look at them and think, man, those, those ignorant Colossians, like, thinking they had to, you know, be, you know, do all these things to, to cleanse themselves. But aren't we the same way? Aren't we the same way? Too often, I think many of us who are in Christ look to things externally to find our spiritual security. We rely on Christian stuff as the evidence of our resurrection. But when we do that, we always come up short. We always come up short when we look to our own actions for our spiritual security. And we always get to the point where we say, where are you, God? Do you really love me? Am I really saved? Is your love really eternal? Brothers and sisters, hear this, your acts of faith, your acts of spiritual service are not what raise you from the dead. Our rituals, our traditions, whatever it is that we do, they do nothing for our salvation. Our resurrection has already been accomplished. There is nothing that we need to add. There's nothing you have to do to add to your resurrection. It has been done. If you have been raised. Paul says, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have this new identity like we talked about last week. And it's secure. Like nothing is going to take it away from you. Nothing you do will cause God to reject you. Nothing you don't do will cause God to reject you. But Paul doesn't say, well then, Go eat, drink, and be merry. No, but he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, he says, you have been raised with Christ, and then he invites us into a new purpose. He invites us into this new purpose. When we're in youth and we're studying a passage together, one of the things we always look for is cause and effect. Right? It's like if there's cause and effect in a verse, we always want to say, hey, what's, what's going on here? And so in Colossians 3.1, we see this, cause, you have been raised with Christ. Effect, seek the things that are above. It's not a, it's not a precursor to being raised with Christ. Seeking the things above is not a like spiritualometer, right? It's like know how saved we are or how spiritual we are, right? But it's an invitation to live in this new identity as one who has been raised 
with Christ. One with a new purpose. Everyone in this world has lives for some purpose, right? Whether consciously or unconsciously, right? There are, and there are a myriad of different purposes that we all live for, right? Our decisions, our thoughts, our actions are all guided by some principle, right? Some of us find purpose in our family, right? All of the decisions that I make are for the benefit and the security of my family. Or other people find purpose in their vocation or their work, and they say, everything I do in my work is going to be meaningful and make positive change, and I'm going to work hard. Some, people, some people's purpose, I have, I have friends like this, is they say, hey, I'm going to leave the world better than I found it, right? It's, it's, it's messed up, uh, and, and I'm just going to make sure that I do enough good things that the world is a better place than when I got here. And others of us, we just want as much stuff as possible. We want as much pleasure with as little work as it takes. And that's our purpose. So I ask you this morning, what is your purpose in life? I know Mike Saul loves an awkward silence. What are the things that drive you? What are the things that define you? What is the north star of the decisions that you make? Well, Paul invites us here into a very simple purpose. He says, if, you have been, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, do this. Seek the things that are above. No longer be driven by these worldly markers of success, money, emotional fulfillment, success, family, philanthropy. Like Some of those are good things, right? But Paul says, I want to give you something better. He's calling us to seek out. Like, I, I, I love like to investigate, to hunt down. I, I love to think of it as a, a quest, right? Quest for the things that are above. Look for the things of God. This is why we do the spiritual things. This is the reason why we read our Bibles and we speak to God in, in prayer and we gather together with brothers and sisters in worship. It doesn't it doesn't save us. It doesn't, it doesn't even prove that we're saved, but we do these things so that we can seek after God, so that we can know him more. We can know his, his character. We can know his story. We can know his commands. And it is a lifelong quest. And it isn't something that happens to us over time. It doesn't just, just happen to us. It's not passive. Seeking is never passive. When you play hide and seek, here's what you don't do. You don't say, okay, I'm going to count, you know, whatever. 1,001, 1,002, skip a few, 99, 100. And you say, ready or not, here I come. I can't find anyone. Where are you, where are you guys at? It's like, that's not what we do. And if that is what you do in a game of hide and seek, if you just sit around and, and look for someone, one of two things is true. Either you're lazy and you just don't want to move around, or you don't care about the game very much. And isn't that how many of us treat seeking the things of God? Seeking the things that are above. We, we sit around and we twiddle our thumbs and we say, God, where, where's your love? 
God, what's your will for my life? God, are you there for me? God, are you, why, why do all these bad things happen? Why, I, I can't find answers. I can't find your presence. I can't, I can't feel you. God, I want to I know your love. And then we just sit there and we wait. But on the flip side, if you've ever played hide and seek with like kids, you know, they're 100% invested. Nothing is going to get in their way of, of hide and seek. They're turning stuff upside down. They're moving cabinets out of the way to see if, like, oh, did you get behind there? They're, like, you know, pulling carpet up. You know, like, they're, they're going to find the person that's hiding. There's not a square inch of the house that is not going to get looked at because they are devoted to the game. They are devoted to finding the person that is hiding. And that's the picture that Paul is drawing for us. He says, you seek the things that are above. Go out. Go, go find it. Flip over every stone. Trod every path. Climb every mountain. Sound of mu- two musical references. The purpose of our new resurrection life is an active hunt for the things of God. Never stopping. Never relenting. Pushing through when it's hard or we get distracted, or we get angry with God. He wants us to dedicate our lives to seeking the things that are above. I told, I told some of the, 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 the boys at camp, we had like a little, a little boys powwow. And I said, we're not, we can't be passive anymore when it comes to the things of God. We can't just sit around in church We have to engage our minds. We have to engage our hearts. We have to engage our hands. We have to worship, pray, be in the word. No longer are we just going to sit around and let it flow into us. And I felt like a coach because I said, and you got to want it. Like like my my coach land came out, right? It's like, you you got to want it, boys. Like if you want to win the state championship in football, you're going to go to practice. You're going to work out because you want it. And I think the problem with us is so many times we don't want it. We don't want to know the things of God. We would rather live our lives doing these spiritual things, keeping Jesus at a little bit of an arm's length so we can see him, so we know we're good. Like, Jesus, I see you, so I know like I'm, I'm, I'm covered. But I never want him to get close enough that he actually changes my life. But Paul goes on to say, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It's not enough to keep him at arm's length. It reminded me of this this image in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, it it reads like this, and it's going to be a little lengthy, but it has a point. Revelation 4, John sees a vision of the throne of God in heaven, and this is what he sees. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, whatever that is. Someone come tell me what that is after church. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I know that one. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. 
and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. When Paul says, seek the things that are above, I think we rightly think heavenly things. Heaven's up there somewhere, right? It's above. That's how the Bible talks about it. We seek heavenly things. But when the Apostle John gives us this image of heaven, everything he describes is in relation to the throne of Jesus. There was a rainbow around the throne, and there were 24 other thrones around the throne, and from the throne came lightning and thunder, and before the throne was the sea of glass that was like crystal, and before the throne were these seven torches, and on each side and around the throne were these living creatures. The point is, the sole focus of heaven is the throne of Jesus. We won't be looking anywhere else. Everything is measured by where it is in relation to the throne. Jesus is the sole focus of heaven. So to seek the things above is to seek after Christ himself. If you didn't know, if we were reading this verse and you didn't know, what, is, what does it mean, the things above? It's Jesus. Everything above, everything in heaven is focused on Jesus. So our new purpose is to seek the things that are above. We are seeking after Jesus. And how do we know Jesus? How do we seek after Jesus? Well, through his word, studying his word, through speaking with him in prayer, through gathering with his people, the rhythms of daily prayer and scripture reading and engaging with uh, the local church. They're not these vessels of spirituality that we go to fill up. They aren't what saves you, but they are the fundamental ways that we as the risen people of God actively seek Jesus with all of our might. They are the ways by which through the Spirit we are sanctified. The sanctified means we grow in Christ-likeness. And no one was ever sanctified by accident. No one woke up one day and was like, I think I'm more godly today than I was yesterday. No one's personal holiness ever grew in a vacuum. One of the things we talked about every single night in camp was you have to have a plan when you go home. You have to have a plan to study the word. You have to have a plan to speak with God in prayer. You have to have a plan to engage with the local church and to follow Jesus in obedience and to proclaim his name to all the nations. You have to have a plan. It's not going to happen by accident. It takes active effort to seek out the things that are above, namely Jesus. It takes active effort to truly live out our God-given purpose. And at first glance, it looks like the next verse, Colossians 3, 2, is just sort of a repetition of what came before. You know, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And even at the beginning of my preparation for this week, I took them as sort of like parallel synonymous truths. Like, yeah, it's kind of the same, the same thing. Wash our hands. Let's go. We got it. Seek the things that are above. But when you slow down, we see that Colossians 3.2 is a vehicle for what Paul invites us into in verse 1. He says, hey, do you want to seek the things that are above? 
You want to seek after Jesus? Well, set your mind there. Set your mind on the things that are above. Shaping our minds for the process of sanctification is not situational or optional. It's foundational. If we want to be a people who are seeking the things above, we should be thinking about the things above. It should be in our minds at all times. What would our lives look like if the filter of our minds was driven by one principle? One principle. Everything that we think, say, and do was pleasing to the Lord. How would our lives change if every decision we made was driven by a concern for the things that are above? How would our priorities change? How would the way we spent our time change? How would our relationships change? Allowing Christ's work to reshape our minds helps us love God with our entire self, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. It helps us combat the false teachings that are so prevalent from Christians in our world, right? There's tons of false teaching out there. But if we set our minds on the things that are above, we can combat against those false teachings. And it helps us resist the destructive cultural narratives that are so prevalent in our world about sexuality and about gender and about political power. We can get rid of all those. We can transform our mind. And it is the first step in this process of sanctification. The process by which we begin to look more and more like Jesus starts in our minds. No one wakes up and is more sanctified. And no one wakes up and wants to be more sanctified. No one wakes up and feels in their heart, I want to give some things up for the Lord today. I want to give some things up that I like for the Lord. It doesn't happen. It's hard. It's hard to give up sin. It's hard to give up time. It's hard to spend time with the Lord in, in study of his word and in prayer. It's hard to give up the game or the, or the practice of the lake on Sunday mornings. It's hard. But if we commit to setting our minds on the things that are above, then what starts to happen is it gets a little bit easier. It gets a little bit easier. It gets a little more easier. And Jesus gets more and more and more beautiful. And the process of sanctification just gets a little more easier. The transformation of our mind is so important because what we revere in our heads will always be reflected in our hands. What we revere in our heads will always be reflected in our hands. The things that we think about, the people that we dote on, the news events that stick with us, whatever it is, whatever's gone, going on up here is going to affect what's happening right here. The things that we think always affect the things that we do. It's why that Willie Nelson song, You Were Always On My Mind, doesn't make any sense. It's a very poor apology, if that's what it is. If you don't know the song, Willie is singing up there and he's saying, you know, I didn't, I didn't treat my woman right. I didn't love you enough. I didn't hold you long enough. I didn't tell you that I'm so happy that you're mine. But you were always on my mind. It's a, it's a great song. If you don't know the song, go listen to it. But it makes me want to scream a little bit. Like, if she was always on your mind, why'd you treat her so bad? 
Imagine getting to the throne of Jesus and saying, man, Jesus, here's all the ways I failed to love you. Here's all the ways I failed to serve you. Here's all the ways I was disobedient. Here's all the things I chose over you. But you were always on my mind. It's like there's nothing more disingenuous than that. But if something was really always on your mind, then it would change the way that you lived. It's why Paul gives that instruction. Set your mind on the things that are above and don't get bogged down on the things below, like Willie Nelson songs. Hear this. There are a million things out there that are trying to distract you from your purpose. There are worldly concerns about comfort, about success, about money, about social acceptance, the the news cycle, the political cycle, and they're all distractions from the reality of the universe. Because of these little devices in our pockets, we think that we need to know a little bit of everything all of the time. But we don't. What we need is to commit ourselves to setting our minds on the thing above. Don't get caught in this muck of the cultural moment. Jesus is king. Jesus rules over everything. He feeds the birds of the air. He clothes the lilies of the field. He knows the names of every star and numbers every hair on your head. And some of you, that's kind of easy, but some of you, it's very hard. Someone was like, ooh, burn. God does not need us to set our minds on the things of the world. He's got it covered. He's got it covered. He knows everything that's going on in the world. You don't have to commit your time to it. You don't have to commit your energy to it. It does not have to take over your life. I'm preaching to myself. Set your mind on the things that are above. Dwell on the truth, the goodness, and the beauty of God and his kingdom and Jesus and his work and your life will undoubtedly change. These two verses in Colossians, they give us a new lease on life. Resurrection with Christ reorients our purpose, and it reshapes our minds. And we can live as we were truly meant to live, in relationship with God our Father. We can live with a new purpose to seek Jesus with all of our lives, and we can be given a new perspective, one that sets our minds always on the things that transcend the broken world, the true, the good, and the beautiful that God has given us. So may it be said of us, church, for those of us that have been raised to new life in Christ, that we would seek him with all our hearts, souls, and minds that those who are following Jesus are on a lifelong quest to know God deeply and that we might live as those who always had Jesus on our minds. Let's pray. Father, your word is good and your word is true and your word is beautiful, but God, sometimes the good, the true, and the beautiful is convicting. It's convicting even to me, God. And so I pray this morning, I come before your throne 
beg you, I plead with you, use your spirit to change my mind. Shape my mind so that I might seek after the things that are above. Change the purpose in my life. Would every day of my life, God, be committed to knowing and serving you more deeply? God, would, would you use your spirit to change me and change those in this room into those who live as resurrected children of God with a new purpose to seek the things that are above. Where you are, your son is seated at your right hand and to set our minds on the things that are above, not on the earth. God, our heart's posture is not to do this naturally. We need your help. We need your spirit. Convict us, encourage us, challenge us. But most importantly, let us marvel at your beauty. Let us worship you and give you glory. And that as we see you as more and more and more beautiful, as we recognize how beautiful you actually are, that it would change us. And that as we would revere you in our heads, that would be reflected in our hands. Only you can do this, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. If you don't know Jesus, if you've not been raised to new life in Christ, I, I'm going to be right down here. I'd love to introduce you. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. If you need to uh, turn to someone and say, hey, I want to make a plan I want to commit to study and prayer and, and gathering with his people. I encourage you to do that amongst yourselves. It's always going to take you and someone else. But if you just need to stand and worship God and his beauty and his glory, I invite you to do that. So respond however the Spirit leads. Let's stand and sing.